Welcome to this podcast. This is going to be about the life and times of Tim Hill. In this series of podcasts, I'm going to take you through my life from birth to retirement. I will be covering some of the major events in my life and some of the successes and failures that I've had during my lifetime. So sit back, strap yourself in, it's going to be a bit of a bumpy ride. Welcome to episode one of the life and times of Tim Hill. In this episode, I'm going to take you right back to where it all started for me. I was born on the 5th of April, 1958, in a small place called Simon's Hyde, which was two cottages and a farm situated at the back of the Havilands in Hatfield. So the day I arrived on this earth was a bit of a brutal awakening. I'd just come out of a nice warm place to be hung upside down by my feet and had my arse slapped, I thought. This can't be life. Surely not. Anyway, once I'd recovered from having my arse slapped, I got wrapped up in a nice warm blanket and then I snuggled down with my mum and the rest of the family were allowed in to say hello to me. At that time on the farm, there was a lot of people living there. There was my nan and my aunt, along with my mum and dad, an aunt and an uncle and three cousins, all girls. Not long after, my aunt and uncle and the three girls left the farm and moved into Hatfield. By the time I was about three or four months old, my mum had become pregnant once again. And by the time I was seven months, eight months old maybe, we then moved into Wellham Green and away from the farm. By the time I was about nine months old, I was quite an independent young man, enjoying life, getting out down the shops with my mum. And one day, my mum was down in the shops with my nan and me in the pram. While I was in the shops, I'd um, climbed out the pram and I managed to get myself stuck in a roller carpet outside the carpet shop. When my mum and nan came back, they were so engrossed with talking to each other, they were walking down the road and it wasn't until they was almost home that they realised that I wasn't in the pram. They came running back down to where the shops were and to find me with my two little legs sticking out the top of this carpet roll. It caused quite a stir at the time. From that time on, my mother kept a little bit of a closer eye on me. So, at the end of March 1959, my sister arrived on the scene, and life changed as we know it. I was no longer the centre point of attention, and my sister was the real needy one, which for me was great. It gave me a little bit more freedom. As time went on, it became apparent that Amanda's neediness was in fact jealousy. She was born with this very jealous streak in her. Over the years, her jealousy became unbearable at times. She had to be the centre of attention for everything and wanted everything. If I was playing with something, she would want it. During the summer of 1962, we moved from Wellham Green to Homestead Road in Hatfield, where my father Mick run his taxi business from. He had a small fleet of Rover P8 cars. My father was a fairly tough man, and I guess the reason we moved into Homestead Road was so he was close to the pub that he enjoyed, the Hopfields, which was just down the bottom of the road. He was known as a fairly hard drinker. He also had a reputation of being a ladies' man, and according to my mother, on occasions he would accept favours as opposed to fares. But a bit more of that later. At the same time, during 1962, my mother was pregnant yet again. And as the weather set in, the winter of 62-63, at the end of December, my younger sister was born, Tracy. That December, the weather had really turned nasty and we had really deep snow. 
It was snowing heavily on the day that Tracy was born. Fortunately, my grandmother and my auntie Marjorie were there and actually delivered Tracy. The doctor turned up shortly after and was able to cut the cord. The midwife was nowhere to be seen. A few days after Tracy was born, my sister Amanda had an asthma attack and was taken into hospital. We think that it was partly due to her jealousy. When Amanda came back from the hospital a couple of days later, she brought back with her the flu, which she kind of gave to myself and Tracy. Tracy, unfortunately, had to be taken into hospital and was in there for a, about a week or so in an incubator. The nurse said at the time that had they not caught it, she may have died. As it happens, she didn't die and returned back home after a week of intensive care in hospital. As we were getting into 1963, I was getting to the end of my time at nursery school and I was due to go up to infant school in September. So by mid-July, I'd finished nursery school and we started the school summer holidays. This was an opportunity for me to get into more trouble as ever. For some reason, I was always the one in trouble. Normally caused by one or two of my sisters, or both of them. If something had got broken, or there was a rail going on, I was at the bottom of it. I was always to blame. Not my sisters. No, they were proper little angels. But I was the one in trouble every time. Being the oldest, I suppose. However, being the oldest did have its advantages. It meant that I was able to go out and play with my mates. So after breakfast, I'd generally go and meet up with my mates and we'd go off down to the wreck. I spent most of the day down there playing on the swings, the roundabout, the slide, the swing boat. And when we'd had enough of that, we would then go off and find some other mischief to get up to. We used to go scrumping quite a bit and occasionally we'd get caught. And once we'd been caught, we'd be dragged home by the police and um, generally ended up not very well. Normally got a good hiding for that and a couple of days of being grounded. But that generally didn't stop us. One of our favourite places to go and play was a building site. They were knocking down a load of old prefabs to build a new estate. We found this a great place to go and play. We spent a lot of time smashing up the old prefabs. We thought we were helping out. On one occasion we were playing down a building site, I fell into one of the footing trenches and I was covered in mud and cement. I was in a terrible state. When I got home, my mother went absolute ballistic. That cost me a few days being grounded and another good hiding for good measure. Sometimes we were taken up to our cousin's house. Remember, we had uh, three cousins, girls. Anyway, we were taken up there for lunch sometimes and I wasn't allowed to play with none of their toys because I was apparently a destructive little bleeder. Anyway, Uncle Jack was into his model railway. Oh, and I was never allowed to get anywhere near that, which was a shame because I'd love to play with his train set. I don't think Uncle Jack liked me much. He scared me anyway. And my cousins, well, it was Linda. She was the oldest. She must have been, I don't know, about 15. We didn't see an awful lot of her. She was always off somewhere with her mates. Then there was Teresa. Teresa was around sometimes. She was, um, what was Teresa? She must have been about 10. And then there was Jacqueline. Jacqueline was just uh, about two years older than me. Teresa was mostly out of the way, probably up in her bedroom doing homework or something like that. And Jacqueline would play with Tracy and Mandy. And I spent my time with Auntie Sheila, generally in the kitchen helping out. 
but I think there's more to keep an eye on me than anything else. By this time, my nan and my auntie Shirley had left the farm and moved into a flat in Longmead. I was allowed to go and visit them quite often. I like going to see my nan. She always gave me some really good food. She was a great cook. Over the coming years, I spent a lot of time with my nan. My nan used to look after us really well, especially when my mum started to go out to work. We used to spend a lot of time down there during the summer holidays. I guess it must have been around about 1964 that my father gave up his taxi business and got a job as a long-distance lorry driver. For me, it was great. It meant that I was able to go with him on some of his trips. I can remember being woken up very early in the morning and then taken out and climbing up into the cab of the lorry and we set off up the A1. We'd be out for two or three nights at a time and I can remember stopping in digs up in Leeds and Manchester. It was great. I loved every minute of it. I imagined at the time this is what I wanted to do when I grow up. When we'd stop at transport cafes, we'd go in and my dad always asked for two teas, love, milky one and a boy. Well, I still drink milky tea today. I generally always have a bacon sandwich or an egg sandwich. The old man, he'd always have a full breakfast. Once we parked up for the night and got ourselves into the digs, we'd go out and have a bit of supper. After that, we'd generally go down a pub and have a couple of pints. Well, I didn't have pints, obviously, but the old man had a few, and I was stuck to having coke or something like that. We'd be up early the following day, and then off down to tip. Once we'd tipped out, the old man would ring in, get instructions for a reload. I can remember going into places like Liverpool Docks, Tilbury Docks, round the Silvertown, loading up with sugar, off to Schweppes, tip it out, reload at Schweppes with a load of marmalade. God, those were the days. Really enjoyed the time I had with the old man with a lorry. Moving on to around about 1965, I left infant school and I went up to juniors. The junior school I went to was fairly all right. It was a little bit rough around the area, but occasionally you get a bully. We had a bully. His name was Anthony. For the most part, Anthony steered well clear of me until one day he'd run out of people to pick on and he decided to have a go at me. Anyway, I got home, had a word with the old man, and I said, what should I do about this bully? He said, the best thing you can do with a bully is get the first punch in, put him down. If you don't go down, you're probably going to get a right beating. However, it will turn the bully away and he won't pick on you ever again. So with this sound advice, I've gone back to school the following day and minding my own business, talking to a couple of my mates around the school pond, Anthony comes over and starts picking on me. So given the advice from the old man, I decide now's the time. So I'll give him a right good thump. He's fallen back, gone straight into the pond. All anybody's seen is me as the aggressor, him going in the pond. I'm dragged off to the headmaster's office and I get six of the best, having tried to plead my innocence. Anyway, the upside of it all, Anthony never picked on me again. The negative side, I felt the injustice that I'd felt put me off school forever, which had a real detrimental effect to my education. After this incident, I never really enjoyed school much and I used to find as many reasons not to go than I did to go. And when I did go, I didn't really pay much attention. I wasn't overly interested and I was probably a disruptive influence in most classes that I attended. One of the lessons that I did actually enjoy was swimming. They used to take us over to Stanborough. There was an outdoor swimming pool there and we had swimming lessons. I guess we started swimming just after the Easter holidays, when it was still really cold. I can remember standing around the pool 
absolutely gibbering along with everybody else. It was quite amusing, really. It was actually warmer in the water than it was stood out. But it was one of the lessons that we had fun at. When we had school holidays, we used to go down to my nan and granddad's in Peacehaven. My grandfather at the time was head pigman on a pig farm. And also down there was my great-granddad and great-nan. They lived in the cottage on the farm as well at the time. The farm itself was a mixed farm of arable and livestock. Although the pig farm area was fairly small in comparison to the rest of the farm, but it did give us a chance to go out shooting. My granddad got me a nice little 410 shotgun and we used to go out hunting rabbits. I spent a lot of my childhood growing up on rabbit. I still like a bit of rabbit nowadays. I used to enjoy getting up early in the morning and going down to the farm with my granddad to feed the pigs. Once we'd fed the pigs and sorted them out, we'd come back up to the farmhouse for breakfast around about nine o'clock in the morning and generally we'd have a nice big fry up. I thought to myself, this is a life. I could be a pig farmer when I grow up. So I spent a lot of time with my granddad trying to learn as much as I could about the pigs and how to look after the pigs and what was entailed really in being a pig farmer. Anyway, we spent many happy holidays down on the farm and then going off down to the beach at New Haven with their cousins. New Haven Fort had been decommissioned after the war and then it was just left as derelict. And this was a great place for us kids to go and play. We spent a lot of time playing around the fort. Nowadays, the fort's been recommissioned, sort of, as a museum. When we were back in Hatfield, one of the highlights of the week was Saturday morning pictures. As us kids in the 60s, Saturday morning pictures was a must. We used to get our pocket money, which is about half a crown back then, meet up with my mates and then we'd go off down to the co-op. One of us would go in and buy some 20 fags, saying that they were for his mum, and then we'd go off down the back alleys having a, a, a smoke on the way to the pictures. Down at the picture house, there was probably somewhere around about, I know, 150, 200 kids all screaming, wanting to get into the pictures. So one of us would queue up and go in and pay. Once we got in, we'd sneak round to the toilet, open the window for the rest of us to come in. It was about half a dozen of us normally sneaking into the pictures. Saturday morning pictures normally consisted of a couple of cartoons, maybe a little short, and then a feature. And the feature was normally something like a war film or a cowboy or science fiction. Anyway, when we came out of the pictures, we all reenacted what the film was all about. We had a great lark back in those days. Back then, in front of the picture house, there was a load of old two-up, two-down terrace houses that they were knocking down. It was a big building site that they were going to start to build the, the new town centre. This gave us a great opportunity to go and help smash the place up. A group of us got over there on a Saturday morning after the pictures, and we found some big propane cylinders. So we thought it was a good laugh to set one of these off from a match. And as it was firing up, it was firing at the other cylinder. Well, we thought this was quite dangerous, so we ran away. A short while later, there was an enormous explosion. We can only guess that one of the cylinders had blown up. After this incident, they put security on the building site. So we took the hint and stayed well away, just in case we were caught. When I wasn't out playing with my mates, I used to go off down to my nans. I spent a lot of time at my nans and we used to sit and chat a lot. I used to talk about my granddad. Unfortunately, I never knew my granddad. He died two years before I was born. However, my nan told me a lot about him. He was in the Navy and he was a ship's writer. He was injured in the Dardanelles in 1915. 
and had a bad injury to his arm and had to have a bone replaced with a silver one. After the First World War, he became a scriptwriter and a composer. He worked under the name of Patrick Keenan Hill and he wrote several films. He also directed a few films in the 1930s. One of the films he made was called West Kerry Men. Apparently it was a romantic film about a love triangle. I don't know any more about it than that. He was also a composer and music arranger. He used to arrange music for travel logs made about Ireland and Scotland. One of the tunes that he wrote was called Meeting on the Waters. And as far as I'm aware, my nan was still receiving royalties into the 1980s. My auntie Shirley had been doing some research into the family history and her father, who was Cyril, my grandfather, his father was James Henry Heal, also known as James Henry Mason Heal. When James Henry was born, he was born James Henry Mason and his father was William Mason. As the story goes, James Henry had joined the army and then done a bunk from that and went and joined the navy. Apparently, the family disowned him. Now, James Henry Mason Heal ended up as a chief stoker in the Navy, and he lived in Liverpool Road in Portsmouth, which is a coincidence because now I'm living in Gosport. It was only recently that I found this out. I've always liked coming down to Portsmouth. used to come down as a kid to Navy days and spent a lot of time around this area. Through Ancestry, I found out that a lot of my relatives were born actually around here. My grandfather was born here. My great-grandfather was born here. My great-great-grandfather was born here. My grandmother was born here. And my great-grandmother was born here. So it seems strange that I've been drawn back to this area. Although we're the other side of the water from Portsmouth, being in Gosport, but it's close enough. Anyway, back to the mid-60s. We used to go and visit lots of relatives back then. I can remember going to Peckham to see my Uncle Paddy and Auntie Margie. They had four children. There was Gillian, Angela, Nicholas and Graham. Graham was about two weeks older than me and we used to get on really well. Uncle Paddy was really funny. He used to come up and say to me, Get a pound or do you want a clump? I generally got away without getting a clump and I kept my pound. I can remember going down to see... Uncle Laurie and Auntie Babs. They lived in Basildon. They had two daughters, Susan, who was deaf and attended the deaf school in Welling, and Anne. We called her Long Anne. She was funny. I liked Long Anne. She was the first person to give me a cigarette when I was about six. I think it was about 1965 and we'd gone to Broadstairs for a summer holiday. There was my mum and dad and my two sisters and the dog lady. We were stopping in a bed and breakfast just up from the beach. We were up in the top floor like an attic and apparently Lady had um, got the squits under the bed. My poor mum had to go and clear it all up. It was a great holiday. We spent most of the time down on the beach, digging holes, making sandcastles. And I can remember digging a hole and burying my dad up to his neck. As far as I can remember, that was the last time my dad came on holiday with us. After that, things got a little bit iffy at home. As time went on, my father spent more time up the road than he did at home, and I didn't get the chance to go with him so often. When the old man was at home, he spent more time up the pub than he did with us. When he got in from the pub, he was generally drunk, and he was demanding food, shouting and bawling at me mum, and generally woke us kids up. 
As time went on, it got worse. Anyway, 1966. Again, I wasn't doing particularly well at school. I still wasn't enjoying it and found more time to go out and muck about with me mates than I did learning anything at school. This would come back to haunt me in years to come. And I've since found out that I suffer from dyslexia. This was never picked up at school. Anyway, this was the year that the whole country went mad for football. Myself, I wasn't really interested in football. World Cup, Willie and all that malarkey. I was put off of football fairly early on. Because I wasn't particularly good at kicking the ball, they used to stick me in goal. And I was playing one game and somebody kicked the ball at me and it caught me straight in the face, square in the face, almost broke my nose. From then on, I decided that football wasn't for me. As the summer went on, and England were getting closer and closer to the final, all anybody could talk about, football this, football that, World Cup Willie, we're going to win. Oh, drive me nuts. And television sales went through the roof. At that time in 1966, or the mid-60s, not many people had televisions. And then it was just black and white. I can remember being at the town centre on a Saturday afternoon and lots and lots of people were stood outside Rumbelow's, which was a television shop in Hatfield at the time. People would sign up on the Never Never just to get a television to watch the football. I really couldn't see the attraction in watching football on a television, particularly in black and white. And I didn't see the point of football anyway. So the day of the final came and there was mad hysteria right across the country. Everybody was going mad. Everybody was saying, well, England's going to beat Germany. Well, in the end, they did. But it was just overblown. It was during the 60s that the Vietnam War was on and we used to get demonstrations down the town centre occasionally and I can remember one day my mates and myself we had um, cap guns and we had these little rockets that um, you put a cap in, throw it and it'll go bang. So we're down at the town with these uh, demonstrators this day and we're, we're shooting our cap guns and we're throwing these rockets, and a local press picked up on it. And this was the first time that I'd managed to get into the newspapers. And the headline was, Children Disrupt CND March with Throwing Rockets. For anybody that doesn't know what a cap gun is, it's a, a toy gun that fires caps. And caps, you buy in a strip. These caps are made out of the same stuff that matches are made out of. Take a hammer and bash a match, it'll bang. So same principle for these strips of caps. Anyway, during the school summer holidays, we used to go down to the farm to see the grandparents quite a lot and I still enjoyed going down, helping the granddad with the pigs and I still wanted to be a farmer when I grew up. I used to go to the Young Farmers Club at Oaklands College in St Albans. I learned all sorts of things there I learned how to drive a tractor. I learned about different crops, crop rotation, learned about animals. And I enjoyed the time there. And I thought it would put me in good stead to become a farmer. Life at home wasn't getting any better. When the old man was around, he was drunk and arguing with my mother. Us kids knew when to keep out of the way. It was over the summer of 1968 that things came to a real head. My mother and father were arguing all the time and it was getting pretty unbearable. So what happened was, one day the old man went off to work and my mother got us kids to pack all our stuff up and we went off to the station and we got on the train and we went down to my grandparents in Newhaven. 
I can remember the journey quite well. We got a taxi from home to the Hatfield station. We caught the train up to King's Cross and we got on the underground cross to Victoria. The train that we got on at Victoria was a steam train. Steam trains were still running service from London to Brighton at that time. I felt quite excited on a steam train. When we arrived at Brighton, Grandad was there to pick us up in his Hillman Minx and took us back to the farm. We were then to spend another three or four months at the farm before moving back to Hatfield in late January sometime. At the beginning of September, my sisters and I were enrolled in a new school. It was about three miles away from the farm and we had to walk there and back every day. I was still struggling with schoolwork and still didn't like school much, but the new school gave me an opportunity to start afresh. With this my last year in junior school, it was this term that we took the 11 plus. And with me being so academically astute, I managed to fail it quite spectacularly. So with my poor performance at 11 plus, I had no chance to go to a grammar school. The only option would be to go to a comprehensive school. However, because I wanted to become a farmer, there was an opportunity to go to an agricultural school at Much Haddam, a place called Haddam Hall. Arrangements were made for me to go to Haddam Hall to take the entrance test to see if I was the right type of person to become a farmer. Unfortunately, I failed this test miserably and so destroyed any ideas that I had of becoming a farmer. My next thought was I'd join the army, but more of that later. It was now early December and the weather was still quite mild. So we set off for school as normal, wearing shorts, shirt and a jumper. It was about mid-morning, about 10 o'clock. It started to snow and by the end of break, it was laying quite heavy. They decided to close the school at midday. They'd laid on a bus to take those that lived quite far away home. I'd already set off on foot to walk the three miles back to the farm. By the time I got to the bottom of the road, I was freezing. Fortunately, one of the farmhands came along on a tractor and found me and picked me up and took me back up to the farm. I was frozen to the bone, almost hypothermic. I was sat in front of a big Rayburn fire and it took me some hours to thaw out. I experienced some really bad chillblains. I've never felt pain like that before or since, come to think of it. All the while while we were at Peacehaven, my mother was filing for a divorce from my dad. And we ended up moving back to Hatfield sometime in the January or February 1969. And I ended up back at my old school. During that spring term, we had to decide what school we was going to go to for secondary school. For me, pretty much there was only one choice. And that was Onslow, which was the big comprehensive school in Hatfield. With that decided, we entered into the final term of junior school. Don't remember a lot about it at the time. Only looking forward to the school summer holidays and not really looking forward to going back to a new school in September. So having blown my chances to go into the agricultural boarding school at Haddam Hall, I decided that now was the time to look at how to get into the army. I thought, I'll go and join the army cadets. Anyway, the army cadets I was just too young for. However, the sea cadets would take us on at 11. So I went and joined the sea cadets over in Welling Garden City. I really enjoyed Sea Cadets. We used to go over there twice a week. I think it was on a Wednesday and a Friday night. It was the opposite nights to the Army Cadets. So we didn't really get to see them much. However, I still had ambitions of joining the Army Cadets when I was old enough. I'd been in the Sea Cadets just long enough to be able to go on a summer camp in 1969. And we went to HMS Ganges, 
we had a fantastic week. We learnt loads of stuff there. We did a little bit of sailing. We did some rowing. And we learnt a lot more about what the Navy was really about. When we'd returned from summer camp, we had a weekend where we were taken down to Portsmouth for Navy Day. We had a brilliant weekend down there. We managed to get on loads of warships, submarines. What a brilliant weekend that was. At that time, we wore the number one uniform, which consisted of the bell-bottom trousers, and there were creases horizontally every four inches up them, which apparently was the width of your paybook. Our cap tally was T.S. Amethyst. HMS Amethyst was the ship that went up the Yangtze River for the Yangtze River incident, which is quite famous in, in naval history. We were very proud to be part of the history of HMS Amethyst and our affiliation to her. On cadet nights, we had history lessons about the Yangtze River and the incident. And one night they brought along the film. That was brilliant. I'd go on to spend another year with the sea cadets before going across to the army cadets the following year. Anyway, that September, I started at Onslow, which was the big secondary modern school in Hatfield. So that's the end of the first 11 years of my life. I hope you enjoyed it. And if you did, please give it a like and share it with your friends. That's the end of edition one to my podcast. Thank you for listening. (laughs) 